Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to teach us what you would want us to see from all of this today. And just thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you care for us and, and, and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Back. We're going to be starting in verse 9. Uh, second chapter of Habakkuk is Habakkuk's second complaint to God, basically telling God that he's too holy and righteous to, to use the wicked uh, people to chastise his people. And, this, and this, we're still in the middle of his complaint to God. Uh, verse 9. Woe to him that covets an evil... Covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. You have consulted shame to your house by cutting off many people and have sinned against your soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. All right. So here he's saying, woe to him that covets. And this word for covet means to gain by violence. So it's not even coveting. This is somebody who's being violently desiring something that wants and, and taking from them by force. Uh, this isn't just I want something. This is I'm going to take something. Much like many of the people in our day and age are, you know, they want it, they take it. And went ready to do it by violence. And he says, woe to him that does this that has an evil covetousness, uh, evil desire to take something by force. And so this is not just the idea of, I want it, I want it. This is, I am going to take it uh, with violence if necessary. And then it goes, and the reason he's doing that he may set his nest on high <laughs> or his home in a high place, all right, in a and this, this is what uh, is so interesting. The world's goal is to have themselves established someplace up high. You know, uh, you know I, I look around and you, know, you watch all these houses being built on the, night, the high mountains and everything, and everybody wants that place that everybody's going to see. Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but you know, if, you're, if you have that idea, I want to be known, I want to be seen, you're going to make a beautiful house, you're going to decorate the house perfectly, you're going to make sure everybody knows where it's at, that you, so they'll be able to say, oh, that's, that's so-and-so's house. And we, we have this problem, you know, uh, we were talking earlier, you get people in Hollywood, you know, the stars want their nice houses, but they don't want anybody to know where they're living, and yet they want people to know where they live, all right? They want them to know where they live so that they'll be able to say that's their house, but they don't want the people bothering them by knowing where their house is. And it's kind of a, a mixed, uh, complex way of thinking, and yet that is the duplicity that is part of the sinful nature. I want all the recognition, but give me the recognition without people bothering me with the recognition. And then they wonder, do people like me, or do they just like how famous I am, and all these other things that they get into, and they never know what's going on because they have been so focused in trying to be famous, and then they wonder, was it really worth it? And here he's saying that they're going to take what they want. They want to set up their goal. Um, and their idea is, and it's kind of interesting, they want to set their nest on high that they may be delivered from the power of evil. They live in an evil lifestyle, but they want to be delivered from the evil. And this is so funny with the way people will live. It's okay for me to do whatever I want to do, but it's not all right for anybody to do whatever they want to do to me. And again, the duplicity of the, of the, of the mind of the lost person, the person that's not thinking the way God is, is very strange. And it's getting even worse. The further we get from God, the, the worse it gets. The more we get away from an absolute truth, an absolute idea that God has given us absolute truth, the more, I'm going to say, insane people get. They, will, they, they can do anything they want because it's okay, but if anybody does the same thing back to them, they're wrong. And that's their way of thinking. And because pride and my personal gain is what's important to me as a lost person. 
Now, as a, as a saved person, it shouldn't be that way. Unfortunately, it is often, but it should not be. If we have the new life, the new heart, you know, God promises us a new heart of flesh for the heart of stone. He, he promises us a new way of living. If we're living that way, then we should not have that duplicity. And that's when we get into, I want to treat others the way God treats me. And the more we learn to do that, the less we will be in this dual mind mindset. Uh, the more I'm going to treat others kindly, with grace, with mercy, with love. And then my dependence is not by putting my house on, my nest on high or my house in a, in a strong place. My, my protection is God because he is the one I'm putting my hope and my trust in. And this is this thing I, I've said it, and I've heard you know lots and lots of pastors say it. You know, for us, our trust is not in our government; it's not in anything else going on around us. Our trust needs to be in God, because if we put our trust in the government, we're in trouble because governments fail. If we put our trust in even the police department, they may take a long time to respond, especially out here in chloride. All right, but. All of this comes down to, and if we put our trust in anything that is human or man, it will fail at some point in our, in our, in our time because man always fails. We always fail. So we cannot put ourselves in this place because God is the one that we are to, to trust. He says, you have consulted shame to your house by cutting off many people and have sinned against your soul. And this word for consulted is really devised. You had devised shame against your house. And this is the very interesting thing. When people start doing what they want to do, usually for their own profit, their own covetousness, their own benefit, what really happens, shame is brought upon, upon them. And it's very interesting because you watch all these people saying, well, I just want to do what I want to do. And then they get upset that everybody says, well, you, you know, how could you do something like that? I find it very interesting when people will talk about the party they had you know, you know, over the weekend. You know, they had a great time at the party until they see the pictures that somebody managed to take of the, of the party that were posted on Facebook. And then they realized they didn't have as much fun as they thought they had. Uh, and now everybody knows what a fool they made out of themselves. And then they're mad at the person who posted it, which might have been themselves in many cases. And they just bring shame. And because they have sinned, missed the, way, missed the mark against their own soul. And this is something that's very important for us. How do we act? How do we behave? If we are looking to follow God and honor God, then we will not need to be ashamed of our actions. Even if somebody comes and attacks us for that, because now I'm following God and I'm being attacked for doing good, and that is, that is a good thing. Now, if I'm being attacked or made fun of because I was doing stupid things, <laughs> and then I'm in shame and all these things that go on with it, it's a problem. And yet that's the way the world lives. Uh, and, you know, we've all seen it or been there probably at some point in our life, you know, where we had this problem and, and then wondered why, you know, how did I ever live that? And this is the thing I look at it, you know, how can people live that way? And yet they do all the time. They just, they just do and it's just part of their life. And I guess because they're like most everybody else, it's not that big a deal. You know, everybody got drunk at the party. Everybody was an idiot, so I was just part of the crowd. <laughs> you know, and here he says, you, you brought shame. And then verse 11 says, For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam of the timber shall answer it. Now, I kind of find this as a very interesting statement because it's almost like do the walls, you know, if the walls could talk. And, it, and you, you're hearing this kind of statement from it. You know, that things get spoken out. You know, even if you do them inside your own home, somehow things come, come out. And we need to be very careful. Number one, God always sees. And for us as Christians, that should be enough to keep us from doing something wrong. 
It isn't because of our sin nature, but that should be enough because God always sees. If that's not enough, God has already told us, and Jesus said that your, your sins will be shouted from the rooftops. If we will not confess our sins, we do not repent, God will make known our sin eventually if we're not repenting. If you don't believe it, look at some of these evangelists who, who say they honor God and they start doing and committing sin and God says, okay, fine, you're not, you're, you're not gonna repent. Let's make sure everybody knows your sin. Now, how much will your sin be shouted from the housetop? Well, how well known are you? Now, if you're really well known, then lots of people will know your sin. If you're not real well known, it might just be your family and friends. But this is a big deal. God will not let his children sin and get away with it. Because, uh, and I've heard many people say, and I understand this, I can't get away with sin anyway because God convicts me every time I sin. Usually convicts me if I even think about sinning and have a hard time with just where am I at, what's going on, and, and conviction pours into me. And if I then still sin, then I have to repent of the sin. And if I don't, God has already promised at some point he'll make sure everybody knows you know, your, what your sin is. You may think it's secret. You may think it's all private. But God knows it, and he's going to say, we'll make it revealed. And who knows how God does it? He does it all the time. I've seen it happen over and over again. Somebody leaks out what you've done. Something happens. You do something, say something. Uh, you know, it's, it's secret. You've been on secret Internet porn, and all of a sudden somebody comes across your, your history and knows what you're doing. You know, it's, God will open up the doors and make sure people know because he doesn't want us living that way. He wants us to live righteous, holy lives that exalt him. And if we're not as his children, he will bring discipline. And that discipline, of course, is not what we want. Nobody likes discipline. Uh, but discipline has to be hard enough to bring about change. And if you remember, when they first put out the littering penalties, the littering penalty was like $50. You know, you got, you got tagged for littering. And basically, it wasn't high enough for people to even care. Oh, well, I've thrown the litter out all the time. Now, you know, and oh, I got caught this time. It cost me $50. What are they now? They're pushing $500 now in most places, which is a pretty significant fine if you get caught littering. So what has happened? Less littering is happening because the fine has gotten big enough that people go, I don't think it's worth trying. God's discipline is always going to be enough to say, I don't want you to do it. And, so, and discipline always should be hard enough that when we think about it, I don't think I want to have that discipline again. All right? When, our, when we were kids, it might have just been a spanking. You know, then it might have been taking away you know, privileges. You know, when, when my kids were teenagers, the worst penalty I could do for them is take away the use of the car. And that was terrible for them. Uh, so, but it has to, discipline always has to be severe enough that people think about it. And when God knows exactly what to do to make sure that we have a severe penalty for our sin when he, if we're going to not respond. And this is what it says. He knows. And he'll, and he'll make sure it eventually gets shouted out. <laughs> All right? And that is a scary thought for some of us. You know, if we, if we have a habitual sin that we don't think anybody knows, be aware that if you don't respond, you don't repent, you're, you're not feeling guilty, you're not responding, God will eventually shout it out and make sure it's known. All right, verse 12. Woe to him that builds a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people sh shall weary themselves for very vanity for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So here's God's warning. Woe to him that builds a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity. What is the biggest complaint that we usually have as Christians or, or good people, quote unquote? And David even said, you know, why do the heathen rage and 
and, and the people imagine a vain thing. He's going, why do the evil get away with what they get away? That's our question all the time. Why do bad people have good things happen to them? Why do, why do all these gangsters seem to have the mansions on the hilltop and they're getting away with it? Nobody ever gets after them. Why are these people that are stabbing everybody in the back getting promoted at work? You know, take your pick on what you want to say, but we all have that same comment. God, why does evil seem to get somewhere? And this is what he's saying. If, if they build an entire city and do it on deception and on iniquity, God says, woe to them. Judgment eventually comes. People will reap what they sow. And this is something interesting, because I've talked to several of the inmates even, I'm going, well, when you seem to get away with it, how did you feel? And most of them, when they really get pinned down, will understand, well, I always felt nervous and guilty looking over my shoulder. This is true of these people that build things through iniquity and evil. They may not show it, but they're always waiting. Because deep down inside, because of our conscience and what God has put into us, we know that we reap what we sow. And if we hurt enough people, somebody's going to come, out, come after us. And even when they look like everything's going good, they're on top of the hill, they're always looking over their shoulder. We've seen it in movies and stuff where the gangster is on the top and he's always, you know, the, the head of the gang has got a whole bunch of bodyguards around him all the time because he knows somebody's trying to take him out. He can't enjoy all that he has because he has built it on deception and evil. This is what the Bible's telling him. Beware of that. A payment is going to come due eventually. And this is why we can be very happy as Christians because even though it looks like somebody's getting away with something and somebody's building a great kingdom and everything looks like they're going good, God is still in charge and they will reap what they sow eventually. There will be a payment due. At the very least, the payment due will come when they stand at the white throne judgment and are cast into the lake of fire. Usually, though, the payment also is due on earth. If I can't enjoy what I have, is it, is it worth anything? I have a mansion, I have, I have the, the servants, I have all the cars, I have all the fine clothes, I can go to any restaurant I want, but I'm always without peace in my life. Do I really have anything? And I may look happy-go-lucky when I go out, but I'm nervous all the time. I'm paying a price even on earth for what, for what I've done. So we want to always keep in mind, and I've said this many times, you know, we look at these people that are lost and seem to have everything. You know, and there's lots of people who go, well, I wish I was that person. You probably don't. You know, I wish I was, you know, pick, pick whoever the millionaire or famous person is. But if you really got to know them, you're probably very happy that you're not them. You know, they're, they're very rarely happy. And how do we know? How many of them go into drug rehab and alcohol uh, recovery programs or commit suicide? Uh, just all these indications that they are not happy, even though we look at them and say, they've got everything. Why aren't they happy? Because we wouldn't be happy if we had what they did either without God. And if we're not happy with whatever God gives us, we won't be happy with everything. We wouldn't be happy with the entire world without God. Not that anybody believes that, uh, because you know you look at these people and you look at the stories of people who win lotteries and huge amounts of money or, or become big in a sports, and you know most of them kind of wish they had never received that money, for various reasons. The hangers-on and all the people that are trying to cheat them and come out of the woodwork and the friends and family you never knew you had, until you get get money, and. Part of the problem is these guys usually don't know how to say no to these people or they, or they feel obligated to them because they were their friends. And we see that many times with the sports and, and, and actors and actresses that they finally get famous and all their friends come along with them and suck up all their money and then disappear when it's gone. You know, just like the prodigal son. Uh, 
and you end up with all these leeches and all these people and not knowing how to handle that kind of money and the taxes that come along with it and the responsibilities that come along with the keep up, upkeep of the mansion that you bought and the, and the car that you bought that you can't just pay anybody to do. You have to take it to a special shop and all these other things that, that happen. Uh, and they just wish that they had never gotten it. And everybody goes, well, I wish I could have that. I wish I could have their problems. And they go, no, you really don't want their problems. If you, if you really understood the problems that they're complaining about, you would never want their problems. And we need to understand this is what he's saying. The sin will cry out. The sin will be paid for. Uh, will, will come due. I like that term better. Will, the, the payment for it will come due at some point. Even if people don't see it. And that's the problem is people don't see the uneasiness of these people. All they see is they seem to have everything. And they built it on the back of everybody else and, and iniquity and evil. And they don't really realize all that goes on with that. Their conscience is bothering them. Even if they've seared it and it's way down low, they, they understand. And God does not ever let the conscience disappear completely. You may sear it and push it way, way down low, but every once in a while... It'll pop up. You know, people that are alcoholics or drug addicted, every once in a while, the sin will kick in, and the, the conscience will kick in and say, you really don't want to live like this. You, don't, you, under, you know this is wrong. And you might push it down back real quick, or it may do, drive you into more alcohol, more drugs, to, to try to get rid of it. But every once in a while, it pops back up. And this is what he's saying. It's going to become out. It's not going to be kept in one place. And so this is an interesting thing. It says, um, The Lord of hosts, that people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. (laughs) And basically he's saying, you get everything you want and then find out that it's vanity, empty. This is something that people do all the time if their goal is not to serve God, but to serve themselves. They get what they want. You know, and it's very interesting. You get what you want. I'm famous. I'm well-known. I'm the top of the sports world. I'm the top of the business world. I'm the greatest father that's ever lived, whatever it might be. <laughs> and you realize that whatever it is that you are seeking for is empty. It didn't bring you the joy that you thought it would bring you. It's what the whole book of... Ecclesiastes was about. Solomon said, I've tried everything and it was all vanity, all empty. And people, if they would just read and understand Ecclesiastes, could start looking to follow God and quit wasting their life. But most people don't ever read the book of Ecclesiastes and don't believe it to be true until they experience it. And the sad thing for us as humans, way too often we have to learn the hard way. I, I have tried my life to learn the easy way and learn from other people's mistakes, but you know, they don't become real until they're your mistake. <laughs> you watch so many people and go, well, I can do it better. I won't make the same mistake they did. And you go out and do, the, do what they did and end up maybe not making their mistake, but still not ending up with where you want to be. It's always empty. Everything is empty without God. Fame and fortune, notoriety, uh, Money, being the top of a company, all of it is empty and if it's not for God. Because, and if you've got God, everything is, is enough. That's what Paul said. I've learned to be content with much or with little. Why? Because his contentment was in, what, it was in God. And he didn't need anything else because he had God. And he says, I'm, I'm in prison. I'm in content because I've got God. I'm out making money as a tent maker. I'm, I'm, I'm happy because God is in this. He's being supported by the, by the churches in the local area. I'm content because God is, God is being exalted. His whole contentment is whatever God gave him to be content with. And we just need to learn to be content. And it's not always easy. It's very hard many times if, our, if we're not focused on God. And this is, this is what he's saying through all of this. And I love verse 14. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's glory and his knowledge of the glory will be revealed. 
And this is the funny thing, because there are so many people out there that say they're atheists. I have not met many true atheists. At best, they're agnostics. And an agnostic is one who doesn't know that there's a God, doubts that there's a God, but doesn't know for sure one way or the other. Very few people are truly atheists. Now, they'll tell you they're atheists, but when they really, when you pin them down on a few places, they will go, well, maybe I don't, but I don't think so. All right? A true atheist would not even admit that there's even a chance of having a God. And everybody knows because deep down inside of us, we're in the image of God, and there's things that just aren't answerable without God. And I don't care how scientific they think they are, science does not negate God. Matter of fact, true science needs a God to even have science to start with. You have to have something supernatural that started everything in the first place. And those were the, the laws of thermodynamics tell us that there has to be a supernatural event to start everything. So science actually proves the supernatural, the need of a supernatural. Now it doesn't prove our God, but it proves that there has to be a supernatural event to start at everything. So that once they admit that, now we've got them out of atheism into some form of agnostic. We don't, there has to be some supernatural, I don't know what it is, now we've got, an art, now we've got a place to talk to because they've now come out of this idea that there is no supernatural, no God, into, well, I don't, know, I don't know what God it is. And now we can have a whole different discussion with them. But this whole thing, God's glory is revealed. It really is. When you look, at, and we look at how perfectly balanced all of this creation is, the, our entire body is built with a huge amount of precision and interrelated parts that cannot be separated from each other. The very division of a cell has so many intricate parts in it that it can't be divided and split up. Uh, you know, and they're going, okay, what part of the division of the cell did you, could you do without? None of it. When you really get down to it, there's nothing about the division of the cell that couldn't work without all the pieces coming together at the same time. Time. And we're not going to go into the full biology of cells, but you know, the very stripping up of DNA and splitting it in half and, and then have tool, bio, biomechanical machines that take the RNA and, and match it up and make mRNA and then they put everything back together into two cells again. You know, all of those pieces have to come together at the same time for a cell to split. And science wants to believe that that accidentally happened with no thought, no, no mind behind it. It just somehow happened. And this whole process is true of all cell division, whether it's plant or, or animal. It divides the same way, down deep inside. And yet science wants to say, well, all that just happened by accident. All those biomechanical machines had, had just all of a sudden all popped into existence at the same time so that we could have a cell that could divide. You know, it's just amazing how much faith they have to say that there's no God <laughs> to direct it. And I love the book, it's a, an older book now, it goes, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And I agree with them, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist because you have to ignore all the evidence for God <laughs> to become an atheist. And basically they have blind faith I don't want to believe in God, so I'll ignore everything that doesn't agree with where I'm at, which is just about everything, and focus in on just a handful of things that you're going to make believe happen by itself. God shows the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. Everywhere, everywhere you look, you see God and his glory. And this is why in Psalms it tells us the fool has said in his heart there is no God. You know, and it's very interesting that the smarter people think they are, the more foolish they are because the more they disagree and hide from God. Now we're told as Christians you guys just have a bunch of blind faith. Well, our faith is very reasoned, very scientifically sound. The faith of an atheist 
is blind faith. They have to close their eyes to everything that looks organized and, and ordered. And a matter of fact, most of the evolutionists will say, we know that everything looks like it is designed, but it isn't. It all came here by, by pure chance. So in other words, everything looks like it's designed, so just ignore it because it wasn't. We know you found that watch on the floor, but it just popped there. It just, it, the wind just blew all the parts together and, and became a watch. Or even worse, we had the Big Bang. Nothing exploded into everything and it all organized. And if anybody's ever blown up anything, you know, if you blow up a big junk pile, you're not going to get a car. You're not going to get an airplane. You're not going to get a house. You're going to just get a junk pile that's all over the place in many, many pieces. And, but yet, they want us to believe that nothing blew up into everything out there in an organized manner. This is a lot of blind faith. And God says, his, the knowledge of God's glory covers everything, like the water covers the sea. And you really do have to be blind not to see his glory. And, but the problem is, when we get filled with the Spirit, we start seeing God's glory everywhere. We see God in everything and, and everything that happens. Without him, we are totally blind. We don't see the obvious. It's the person standing in front of a tree and not seeing the forest. I'm standing six inches from the tree. There's no forest here. Well, you're in the middle of the forest. I don't see a single forest. I just see one tree. Well, let's back away from the tree a little bit and look at the forest. <laughs> All right? But that's the atheist looking. I'm so close in there. I'm just looking. I'm looking at the one thing I have because if I see the rest of it, I'm going to see God. I can't see God. I'm not stepping back to see God. I'm going to look at this one thing. And then I'm going to believe what I want about the thing, even though that thing is showing me about God. <laughs> I'm going to believe what I want instead of looking at God. And it is very interesting. And if you've ever talked with anybody and you listen to the way they live and, and all that they're doing, it is very interesting when people are living in sin, how they will try to justify it. Because deep down they know that what they're doing is wrong. They know it. They know it for sure. They're absolutely sure of it, but they don't want to admit it and they blind themselves to what God is telling them. And it's very interesting that human beings are able to lie to ourselves as much as we do. You know, God, I'm just, I'm not going to accept you. I'm going to do things my way. And this is, God says, his knowledge will cover everything. It'll be obvious. Verse 15, woe to him that gives his neighbor drink that, that puts the bottle to him and makes him drunk also, and that you may look upon their nakedness. You are filled with shame for glory. Drink you also, and let your foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto you, and shameful spewing shall be, as you, as, uh, be on your glory. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover you, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of man's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and all that dwell therein. Now here is a very interesting thing that ends up happening. And we've seen this over and over. Many people have experienced it, unfortunately. He starts out with, Woe to him that gives his neighbor drink, that puts the bottle to him to make him drunk. How does this usually work? It's usually that very first drink that people are, have their arm twisted into. You know, there are those who go out openly. But usually there's a little pressure on that first drink. Oh, come on, you need to be like everybody else, you know. Just loosen up, you know. You know, you need this to loosen up. You're, you're too uptight, you know, all the stuff that goes with it. Sometimes it's done on purpose. You know, uh, people will try to get somebody of the opposite sex drunk so that they can take advantage of them. And this is literally what this is talking about, to be able to expose their nakedness. All right, and that happens frequently. Let's, let's buy them a drink. Hey, can I buy you a drink? And then another one and another one and another one until basically they're drunk. And in today's world, it might even go beyond that and being slipped in drugs along with the drink. Uh, but this is what he's talking about. Woe to the person that gets their neighbor drunk to take advantage of them. 
you know, and this could be either sexually taking advantage or just to take advantage of somebody. All right, um, you know, and he says, you know, you are filled with shame for glory. Drink also and let your foreskin. God's basically saying, you know, you've done this, you're going to do it. And foreskin is, is exactly that part. He's saying, you know, men, you're going to be fully naked and exposed. <laughs> and, you know, the cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto you, and shameful spewing shall be as your glory. So God is saying, this is going to happen to you. You know, you've done it to others, it will happen. And this is the reaping and sowing that we have out there. Uh, when we do evil, eventually it returns back to us. And as with everything, when you sow, you reap more than you sow. And so God says, yours is going to be worse in the, in the long run. And we've seen this over and over, and people experience it all the time. They take advantage of people, they take advantage of people, and then somebody eventually will take advantage of them. You know, there's always somebody smarter than us. You know, and everybody always thinks, well, I'm the exception. I'm the smart one. Nobody will ever take advantage of me. I've actually heard inmates say that. Well, you know, nobody will ever take advantage of me. And then I turn around, then what are you doing in here? Why are you in the prison if nobody was going to take advantage of you? Well, my friend dropped the dime on me, or you know, one guy even told me that it was his girlfriend's fault. She didn't keep a good enough watch <laughs> for him. I'm going, well, sounds like somebody took advantage of you, didn't they? <laughs> well, uh, you know, but it really does come down to it. Somebody will always take advantage, or we will slip up ourselves, one or the other, but somebody will always be in the place of taking advantage. We will reap what we sow. And here's what he's saying. You've done this, it's coming your way. It is coming your way. And it says, for the violence of Lebanon shall cover you and the spoil, and, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid. And here he's saying, Lebanon was an enemy for them. He says, Lebanon's going to come. And if that wasn't enough, he says the animals are going to come after you. Many times in the scripture, God actually set it up that the animals took advantage of the people. When Joshua was fighting in the battles for Canaan, there was one particular event where the, the hornets chased the enemy away from them. And I don't know how many hornets it takes to chase an army away. That's a whole lot of hornets. I mean, I can picture a hornet chasing one or two people away maybe even a platoon, but the entire army was driven away by hornets. That's a lot of hornets. But God has also said in many places that the lions, the jackals, all these animals would come and harass you. And you know, it's very interesting as we're getting further and further away from God, how many different reports do we have of wild animals being found in the cities. Not just out in the wilderness where you would expect them, but every once in a while you'll hear of a bear in Phoenix, or a mountain lion, or a cougar in Phoenix. Is that God saying, I'm bringing the animals? I am getting the animals to give you a hard time? So far we haven't had anybody being killed by them, but usually these curses from God don't come in hard at first. But if we continue getting further and further away from God, I believe that we'll start seeing bear attacks, cougar attacks in these cities. We are already seeing storms that are killing people because of their ferociousness of them. Because God is doing just what he did in the scriptures, using nature to bring judgment. And we're seeing more and more fierce storms, heavier hurricanes, larger typhoons, larger tornadoes, larger earthquakes. Now, the world's response, man-made climate change. My answer, God's judgment, start paying attention, just as he did in the Old Testament, in, you know, all through the Old Testament, 
God is shaking nature to get our attention. And we need to start paying attention. And, you know, the sad thing is there are so many people that won't say that it's God's judgment. But it's God's judgment. This nation started as a godly Christian nation. And the weather for the first 200 years of this, this nation was pretty mild compared to what the Indians said that it used to be like. You read back in the Indians' lores, they talk about snowstorms and blizzards that we've never seen. They've talked about tidal waves that came in hundreds of miles into inland because of how large they were. They've talked about hurricanes and, and, and earthquakes that shook everything and destroyed everything. We have not seen that for 200 years because we have started under a godly nation. And now that we're drifting away from God, we're starting to see God's nature judgments coming upon us. If we repent, they'll, they'll go away. If we don't, we're going to see more. We're going to see droughts that are going to make everybody think that we're, we have no drought right now. We're going to see bad weather. We're going to see earthquakes because judgment comes. And God is saying, these are just the beginnings of trouble. Just the beginnings. And people need to be able to understand that God is going to take care of that. And all these things it says in verse 17, because of man's blood and the violence of the land, because of the shedding of blood and the violence of man, God will bring judgment. And we have a nation that is murdering our children in the, in the womb and not even thinking twice of it. We've got people that are willing to commit murders, commit violence, destruction. It's amazing when you think, especially this last year. I mean, it's been bad enough with the murder of our babies. We've killed millions and millions of children that are not going in to be productive citizens of the, of the world. Now we have people rioting and killing each other and destroying millions and millions and billions of dollars worth of merchandise and killing each other, and nobody even bats an eye about it. You get a quick report, well, it was terrible, but they, but they were justified. They're, they're, they're very unhappy with, with the way things are. Well, I can think of a lot better ways to express my unhappiness than to kill and destroy. All right, let's actually make changes. Let's get laws to, to change things if you really think it's that bad. But let's not destroy our downtowns. Let's not destroy the businesses. And let's not kill each other in the process, but man's heart. I want what I want. I want it now, and I don't care who hurts to get what I want. What I want, and that's where our world is right now. And there's no righteousness. There's no shame in what they've done. And basically, there's no enforcement of what's being done. And as long as there's no enforcement, there's no penalty. And remember, government is the enforcement arm of God's law. That's what it tells us in in Romans. God says. If you're doing right, you don't have to worry about the government because the government is the enforcer of the law, which are supposed to be godly laws. And so we have this whole process going in, and it will be judgment. And we need to be able to understand when we do right, we don't have to worry about it. When we do wrong, judgment will fall. Now, the sad thing is we don't, when they're doing wrong, they don't think judgment's going to happen to them, especially if they're not godly. And then when justice and judgment falls, they, you will hear, why me? Why did all this happen to me? Well, it might just happen that you're deserving what you're getting for all the stuff that you've done and all that's happening. You might just deserve what's come your way. But they're not going to admit that. They're not going to understand it because if there's no God, there's nothing, nobody to be accountable to. And this is why the world wants to believe there's no God. You know, and again, evolutionists will keep, every great evolutionist said something similar to this. I know that evolution has problems with it, but I cannot accept the alternative. What's the alternative? There's a God. Because if there is a God, then the God has the right to make rules that they have to obey. They don't want to follow God's rules. So they cannot accept that there is a God, even though evolution is full of holes and cannot ever be, be accurate and scientific, 
The only other alternative is that there is a God that created and started everything, and if there's a God that created it, then they have to be obedient to that God. And they don't want to be obedient to anybody because of their pride. They will not allow it. And this is what all atheists really are saying. I am too proud to obey a God, so I cannot believe that there's a God. And they won't say it that clearly, but that's really what they're coming down to. I am too proud. I want to do what I want to do, and there cannot be a God that I have to obey. And this is the point that we have to get through to them. There is a God. And their pride has to be broken down. I've witnessed to a couple people that have said, well, I will never bow my knee to God. And I'm going, well, eventually you will. Never. I go, when you stand at the white throne judgment, you will bow before God because Satan himself will bow before God. You may be forced by the angels to bow before God, but you will bow before God. I think you would be better off bowing voluntarily. And this is just it. People want to not admit that there's a God to bow down to, but eventually they will bow down to him. They will be forced at some point to bow down to him. And they need to understand that, even though they don't want to believe it. And verse 18, what profits, what profits the graven image that the maker thereof has carved it? The molten image and a, and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusts thereunto to make dumb idols. Woe to him that says to wood, awake, and to dumb stone, arise, and it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. I love this section. It's, it's kind of funny listening to it as he's going. He's saying, what profit is there in that carved idol? Well, it might look pretty. It might even be worth some money when you get done making it if it's, it's, if it's good. But this profit is much deeper than that. It's, you know, what value is there to my life? Not just, is it, is it something that I can sell? Because they're not selling their idols. They're making these idols to worship. Uh, and so what profit is it to the maker? All right, I got this very pretty statue over here. Uh, and the molten image and a teacher of lies. So it's even going to talk about the priest to these idols that give forth lies. And this is the problem. If somebody is not speaking for God, they're speaking lies in most cases. This is my problem with most of what's taught in, in psychology and sociology because it's not looking to God. Most of it sounds wonderful. What's Freud's big example? All your problems are because of somebody, somebody in the early part of your life, most likely your mom and dad. It's not your fault, it's their fault. And by the way, it's not really their fault. It was their mom and dad's fault. And it wasn't their fault. It was their mom and dad's fault. And you go back far enough, we'll go back to Adam and Eve. So yes, in one sense, there is a grain of truth in what he is saying. But God says we're all accountable for our actions. And Adam and Eve went right down. The, they, they used the same story that Freud is using, blaming somebody else. Adam... Adam, and I love it, Adam's, Adam's blame was really interesting. God, uh, matter of fact, God, it's your fault. You gave her and she tricked me. But God, is really your fault. Eve just blamed the serpent. And ever since, people have blamed others for their problems. And psychology has really formalized this. Let's find out what your, let's, let's look at your life and find out why you have the problems that you have. It's all your parents' fault, so let's find out why you have it, and then maybe we can change the way you think about, about things and change the way you think. Your heart's totally wicked, but we're going to skip your heart being wicked and just blame it all on them, and we'll try to get you to think differently. Even though you're wicked, we'll have you think wickedly in a different area. They'll never say it that way, but that's really what they're doing. And the problem that they have is they have a grain of truth in what they say, and it sounds okay, but when you really analyze what they're saying, it is not biblical. And if they just come to the biblical way of doing things, 
they'll be okay. It's very funny, even in the prison world, they're going, people who get into programs in the prison don't, don't have as high a recidivism rate. Well, the only programs that really work in the prison are the Christian programs that change their heart and give them a new way of thinking. And those are all bundled into programs. So nowadays, programs are what they do. So they, they put education in there and treat, you know, give them education so they're smarter when they get out. They have all these psychological and sociological programs to try to teach them a new way of thinking. But it's all based in human understanding. And all of those ways have very little result. And people are still getting changed by getting into the chapels and having Bible study and doing, doing Christian-based recovery programs and all these things and having their lives changed by God and not coming back. And it is so funny. I meet so many prisoners out there, and there's some that I just know they're coming back. They have an attitude about everything. You tell them the, sun is, the, the sky is blue and they have an attitude and they're going to, you know, complain about there's clouds up there and you know how can you how can I even be happy because I'm in this place and you're talking about a blue sky and you know just going well I know guess I know who's going to come back as soon as you're out you know I don't tell them that but you know you just know that these people are coming back they have the attitude they're going to fight everybody so they're as soon as they get out they're going to fight everybody and they're going to come right back to prison uh, because their heart has not been changed they did not do anything wrong they're in there because, you know, somebody had it out for them. And they're lifting something up. They're having a profit, you know, in, in lies. That, you know, and it says, the maker of the work trusts therein to make dumb idols. And this is the thing that really I find bizarre. You have these guys carving idols, covering them with, covering them with gold or melting down the gold and shaping it into it. And then they sell them as gods. And maybe even bow down to them themselves. <laughs> and yet they made it. And how many people even today make their own idols? Maybe not actual physical idols. But in their mind they have things that they're worshipping. Many people in our day and age worship entertainment. Activities. I am just going to be entertained. I'm going to in entertain myself right into hell. I'm going to watch movies all day long. I'm going to just have fun. Maybe it's going to be even better. I'm going to go to concerts all the time. And concerts are good. They might even be edifying and lifting up. But if you're not looking for God, you're going to entertain yourself with a decent, decent entertainment and end up going to hell anyway. There are people that come to church that never get to know God. They come to church, maybe even religiously. I have known a couple of people that go to church every time the doors open. But you talk to them about God and they don't know God. And I think I've shared this. We were interviewing a deacon, a deacon candidate and his wife and we asked her, you know, when did you get saved? And her answer literally was, I've always been better than everybody I know. And we asked her, well, when did you realize that you were a sinner in need of a savior? I've always been better than everybody that I know. She came to church every time the doors were open. She knew the Bible. She could quote all the Bible stories, but she did not apparently know God. Had never come to the place where she recognized she was a sinner in need of a savior. And she was going to a good church, a Bible preaching church. It is easy to deceive ourselves and believe in lies and create our own idols and worship that idol if we're not careful. And it says, woe to him that says to wood, wake up. <laughs> uh, you know, the idea of praying to an idol was kind of strange to me. I'm going to bow down before this block of wood or this block of gold and, and pray. But you know, Israel did that when they were led out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and they're going, we don't know what happened to Moses. Aaron, make us a, make us a God. 
Now we know that there were, you know, Moses, Moses did a lot of great things. We had the 10 plagues of Egypt, Evers was destroyed, we had the, the Red Sea split open, we walked through it. But Aaron, we need a God. And then he created the golden calf. And then when Moses did come down, Aaron gave the most stupid response that I have ever heard. He said, I threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. I had nothing to do with molding it, Moses. I just put a bunch of gold in the fire and this is what came out of the fire. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> right, Aaron. In other words, what's he saying? It was, a, it was a miracle. We just put gold in there and this miraculous thing came out of the fire. It, it, it was a god, Moses. <laughs> And he says, be, be aware that you say to, uh, say to the wood awake, to the dumb stone arise, you know, it shall teach, you know, you know waiting for it to teach. Uh, he goes, and it is laid over with gold and silver and there is no breath in the midst of all of it. And other places it says, these idols have eyes that cannot see, they have ears that cannot hear, they have mouths that cannot speak. I love the, love the verse, and I can't remember where it's at, where he talks about going out to the forest, cutting down a, cutting down a tree, with half of it you make, a, make, a, make an idol, and the other half you make a fire and cook your dinner from the same tree. And yet that idol is some, and then you bow down in front of that idol and say, oh, my mighty idol, you know, mighty God, talk to me. You just created it and used half the wood to, to, to create, make your fire. It, when you start looking at these things, you realize how crazy it is. <laughs> but how many crazy things do we even as Christians do? But how many crazy things do the world commit to doing as they lift up other things in the place of God, as they try to seek God in so many strange and unusual and, and crazy places? And God is saying, just trust me. And this is how this chapter ends in verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him or worship before him. And Habakkuk is saying, God is sovereign. Seek after him. And the more we recognize that God is the one that we're supposed to worship, the better off we're going to be. And the more we seek him, the more peace we're going to have. We're told in the New Testament that he gives us a peace that passes understanding. I love that. I love that we have a peace that passes understanding. Right? Sometimes I look at my life and go, I have nothing to be peaceful about, but yet God is keeping me peaceful. Because my trust is in him. But if I looked at my circumstances, I'm going, wow, there's a lot to worry about if I look at my circumstances. But God is in control. I'm going to live in his peace. And even when we dissolve, uh, dissolve, deserve the things that are happening to us, God is still in control. And I can have peace because he is still in control. And all things will work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This is the beauty of serving God. He is in control. He has a plan. At the very worst case is I have a terrible life on this earth and I have heaven to look forward to. And it's eternal. And that was what Paul said. He goes, what are these light afflictions compared to eternity? And he had nice light afflictions, shipwreck beatings, uh, being stoned, being chased out of town, just little things that happened to him. And he's going, these light afflictions are nothing compared to eternity. What do we compare the things that are happening to us in this world to? Now, usually we compare it to what's happening to other people or what our idea of good is. And that's the sad thing. Our idea of good is something that is going to be hard to, hard to meet because usually it's what, better than whatever we have. We could have everything and still think it wasn't good enough and that we're suffering. But is our thought of what is coming? I have an eternity with God. No tears, no sorrow, no pain, nothing but perfection. And I'm going to worry about what's happening down here. 
And yet we do. Because we are stuck in these mortal bodies that have to be dealing with sight, taste, touch, hearing, instead of focusing on the spiritual realm. The more we learn to focus on the spiritual realm, the better off we're going to be. And knowing that God is in charge and God has a plan that is so much better than anything we can, we can think of. And it's not just an eternity. God's blessings do flow down on this world when we're looking at the spiritual. And this is why Paul can say, these light afflictions are nothing compared to eternity. But he also understood that things were going good for him here. People were getting saved. People were growing. And this is the beauty of this. Are we sharing God and seeing people saved? Are we sharing and planting seeds so that people can get saved? Are we living a life that draws people to God? Do people know that we're different from what they act like? And they may not know why, but they know that we're a Christian. Yeah, they, and they may not fully understand it, but they're seeing something different. Our life should draw people to God. Even though they don't know what it's being, they're being drawn to necessarily, or why they're being drawn to it. At the prison, the inmates know I'm different. The employees know I'm different. Now, many of them know that I'm a pastor. They know that I'm a Christian. And they know something about I have something different in my life. Now, you don't have to be a pastor to be something to have people draw different because I am not. It, things going there are not any different now that I'm a pastor. People have always said, you know, looked at me and said, why do you smile all the time? Why are you happy? Why, do, why, do th why don't things get you down? Because my focus is on God. So we put our focus on God and let people think that we're crazy, which they will, because we don't respond to things the way they do, because our trust and hope is in God. And that's where we need to keep it. Our, my trust is in God. He is my keeper. If he wants me to go through pure hell on earth, then my reward in heaven is going to be even greater when I trust him. Because when I get to heaven, man, that's going to look like, that's going to look even, even so much better. Because I didn't have anything on earth. And none of us as his followers are going to have that bad a life. We may think it's bad. We may think it's hard. But if we start really saying, God, what is the blessing? What is the blessing that I'm going through? And look to him and seek out what he is blessing us with, because there's always a blessing in what's going on. Always. And that we can be able to look at and follow him. And he will make everything, even in this world, work out for good. Maybe not for our good, but for good. Lord, we thank you for all this. Lord, we know that you will be expressed. You are the God, and you will... Show us your glory. You will show the world your glory. Help us to see your glory in this lifetime and point others to your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says... The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. 
Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.